0: Welcome to the Herb Nerd Podcast with enlightening interviews where vibrant and diverse teachers, authors, and healers talk about
1: a variety of topics such as self-healing, herbalism, and
0: spirituality. And now your guide, my mom, the Herb Nerd. Hi Herb Nerds, it's Monica. Today I want to share with you a really sweet, adorable story. So, I was in the Halo Herb shop a few days ago with a fellow colleague of mine, Katie, and I heard a cry outside of the door, the cry of a blue jay, twice. And then I flipped my head around and looked towards the door, And I said, I hear you. I hear you, little bird. And then I heard moments afterwards, click, 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 click on the ground. And I knew that the bird had hopped inside of the shop. I peered around the corner, and that little blue jay had flown onto one of our countertops. And had a Buddha candle, beeswax candle, in its mouth. And then it flew away. And the only thing left behind was a little blue feather. (laughs) Really, who stills a Buddha candle? (laughs) That was a fun way to start my day. Back here on the property, we're going to be submitting our plans to the county next week, which is huge. I'm super excited about it. Even though that horrible bill that I talked about on the last podcast, SB 277, has gone through, we're still going to go through with our plans and just see what this means for our school and for our community. And if we end up needing to move because of being forced to vaccinate our child in the future, then we'll have to deal with it then. On a different note, I want to give a big shout out to... KMS 2014 who left a positive review on iTunes and the review is as follows I just listened to the past two podcasts Judy Liban on conscious menopause and Marisala Alvarez on Andean meditation these talks are lovely filled with very helpful information the attitudes of the speakers are inspiring Thanks, Monica, for finding these speakers and pulling these podcasts together. So I want to let you know that this means a lot to me. I love doing the interviews and meeting and connecting with these inspiring teachers that I want to share with you all. The hardest part, honestly, is the editing and getting it out there. And I've been feeling so sluggish, just not really feeling like pulling it together this month. And I swear, once I read this little review, it just reminded me of you, and that this really affects so many people, and it's so helpful, and people are inspired, and it brings them joy and insights, and it just reminded me of why I'm doing this. So thank you for kicking me in the ass, because I needed to, to move. <laughs> so let's just get into the next podcast. We're gonna be talking with Juju Ursus. Juju and I are colleagues. She is really sweet and fun to work with, and she always brings a really neat, unique perspective. She has a background in Chinese herbology, and she's attended the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. She also has a background in Western herbology, and she has worked with Peggy Schaefer, And Juju just really enjoys the connection that she shares with plants. And she is part of our program at Halo to help connect farmers with herbalists and the medicine makers of the community so that we can get our herbs from local places and from areas that are sustainably wildcrafted. We're gonna be talking about wildcrafting today the many benefits of wildcrafting and this is just an overview I hope that you can find little gems of wisdom Juju is so sweet and I can't wait to share her with you I know that you'll love what she has to offer you if you have any questions remember that you can leave your comments on www.theherbnerdpodcast.com slash wildcraftingherbs and I'll do my best to answer them Thank you so much for listening, and let's get into the interview. Hi, Urp Nerds. This is Monica, and today we're talking to Juju Ursus. And Juju, you're also called Juju Bear Woman. What's right. that? Do you want to share?
1: Well, my last name is um, spelled differently, but it is still the same as the Latin Ursus. And that is um, the genus for bear. And the California black bear is Ursus californicus.
0: That's so cool. That's a great last name. (laughs) So I want to thank you so much for being on the Herb Nerd podcast today to talk about ethical wildcrafting and your personal experience with herbs in the wild and what it means to connect with herbs and your personal experience. But before we delve into the interesting subject of wildcrafting, would you mind to define the term what wildcraft is or wildcrafting for those who might not be familiar with that term?
1: Sure, wildcrafting is the uh, experience of being in a place that is not cultivated, so other than a garden, Um, usually somewhere in a forest or it could even be um, by the river somewhere, not necessarily in a wild place so much as um, a place that isn't isn't cultivated by any individual. You know, that plants have the opportunity to naturalize themselves or or to um, reemerge year after year um, on their own volition to be there and what um, people are, are doing in the wild crafting is making that connection with those plants and finding them and seeking, seeking those plants for their nature of being independent on their own in, in the wild, one could say, but more than anything out, um, outside of human cultivation. Um, and in some cases, there is a history of human cultivation, like when the Native Americans or, or settlers um, brought herbs to this region or brought plants even, I mean, sorry, food to this e- region um, that have established themselves without necessarily the continuous care of, of humans to be there. So, so there's still some relationship to human cultivation, but it's not continuous.
0: Right. Like plantain, which is the white man's footprint, which is yeah. the name given to it.
1: Yeah. And in um, Chinese medicine, the name for plantain, for Plantago Asiatica, is chu which is actually uh, literally transcribed to be um, the seed that comes before the cart.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if those seeds like to implant on skirts and, totally. and socks. Totally. Yeah.
1: So, you know, the first person that could have come to an, a region could have easily brought that plant and then followed, you know, the herds.
0: Right. That's great. I love that. So when you are wildcrafting, what brings you the most joy from being a wildcrafter?
1: The most joy... Mm, that's a hard question.
0: <laughs> it doesn't have to be one thing.
1: Oh gosh, I love, I love just having. There's so much. Okay, so there's the connection with the plant. That's that's always, I guess, the primary because it's without that plant being there, you know, what is the connection besides the place? I mean, I love. I would probably say I love both place and plant, but that is the drive is to connect with the plant in its. Surroundings in its place that it really thrives, you know, and that is such a difference from going to a place where there's a manicured uh home, you know, where they're being taken care of, they get fertilized, they get the whole nine yards, you know, they get the treatment in a garden. Whereas when they're in a wild place, there are all sorts of um variables that are out of human control. And that in itself is a miracle. Like Knowing that that plant has been there or that continues to thrive there, that is, in some ways to me, that that is an act of God.
0: Mm-hmm. I, As you're talking, I have this memory of when we went wildcrafting together and we gathered mugwort. And I could envision that the mugwort would grow where the moon would shine. Did you feel that? I
1: totally agree with that
0: you know and those are the little secrets of wild crafting it's like it's not a manicured space it's wild that's why that puts the wild in the crafting and there are lessons encoded in how the plant's growing where it's growing and there's lessons that the plant teaches us yeah so have you acknowledge some of these lessons from some plants that you've harvested like you've maybe you've discovered some information that wasn't found in a book or maybe you hadn't heard before
1: most definitely and I would say that every time I go to connect with plants in their personal space (laughs) um I experience something different or something new you know not necessarily different but certainly something that I didn't pick up on the time before. Um, I recently went um, to gather horsetail, and I, I definitely had a new experience with horsetail this time than I had in the past. Some of the horsetail really liked to be shaded. What I thought originally was that horsetail it likes wet, but it likes when it gets really dry too. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if that's even the case anymore. I think now I understand well the horsetail likes some heat, but it also likes its bit of shade. Right. So, I mean it was growing in both places. It was definitely growing in both the um the full sun and then I saw more of it growing in underneath the blackberries. But I saw more of it actually growing under the blackberries.
0: Interesting. Wild harvesting herbs comes with a lot of responsibility. Harvesting in an ethical way is essential. What can be some of the ecological issues that we need to look at when wildcrafting?
1: Yeah, we really want to take into consideration the life cycle of the plant and what part of the plant are we harvesting are we harvesting the root and in that case basically taking the rest of the life of that plant of that specific plant away you know right. that is that is what essentially what we're doing with that or are we taking the leaves and acknowledging that okay well that's you know we're not we have to be careful not to decimate the the life force of that plant, but you're not taking the plant itself. So right. in that case, you know, your, your error, your margin of error is a little bit wider. Um, but you still want to be respectful to the plant. Um, consider taking, you know, if there are five leaves, just take the one, take one right. leaf per plant. If there are only five leaves, you yes. know, um, it makes the work a little harder for the human, but it makes the life much longer for the plant and knowing and more respectful to the plant too. Um, and that in itself might be the lesson, you know, we, we are gaining lessons from being by, by the plants. And some of these lessons literally have to do with healing ourselves, and some of these lessons have to do with um, our connection to the natural world. Right. Because it's all connected. Right. Um, and just to go back again to the plant, if we're collecting the flowers, acknowledging the fact that the flowers are the precursor to the seed, that seed is also one of the precious substances of the
0: potential of life.
1: Exactly. Right. Um, so that if we are collecting flowers, um, that we are leaving plenty of seed, or in some cases, such as elderberry, if we're collecting flowers where there is medicine in the flowers, there is also incredible medicine in the fruit. And, you know, we definitely wanna be able to enjoy both of those.
0: Right, right. That's true. I have this lesson recently. I'm growing mother warts and it's in the mint family and it has long spikes. It kind of looks like a marijuana plant from far away. I've had a few of my friends go, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's motherwort. Um, but as you get closer, you notice that it's it's more thin, and then it starts to flower like this white, like lavender-colored flowers. And at that point, um, I like to gather the flowering tops and make a tincture. But But the bees were going nuts. They loved it. And I just couldn't, you know, even though I grew it all for medicinal reasons, like in a container, I couldn't take it all. You know, I probably took like a third of it and left the rest. And then I realized that I cut the rest of the seeds and I left them in my car. And I realized I can give these to my friends. You know, like this is a really nice gift when you go to someone's home or if you just want to make a wish and throw it out the window, who knows what the potential will carry, you know?
1: So true. Yeah, like and, that's, that. and that's also one of the gifts of giving back to the plants, you know, that if we are using their life for helping lives of other humans or animals, um, if we're able to promote that, existence their existence among other people and to and to live for them to live more then we're certainly doing some something virtuous for for the medicine for for the plants
0: right Mm -hmm. right because it wants to diversify and spread itself Mm -hmm. that's that's what i feel yeah you know all the pollinators and the birds and the animals and humans well that
1: goes into the co-evolution of all of us you know um it's come to my attention that you know most of the plants and um that that we use are in some way you know create like I guess who's who's appealing to whom really you know but but one could say that the plants that appeal to humans more are kind of co-evolving with us you know there are a few other books that go into that course of, of evolution where if it's appealing to humans, then we are going to want to have it around more and we're going to maybe alter it even um, in such mm-hmm. cases as cannabis has been altered, mm-hmm. that they are literally plants that are co-evolving with us, um, which, you know, leaves endless opportunities for, um, for the future of, of plants, really.
0: Right. What plants do you find most desirable lately, Juju? Juju bees. They're so good.
1: No, I'm just kidding. Don't I, I don't know. They're so desirable. They have thorns, you know. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: Do they grow around here?
1: They do. They grow anywhere that apples grow, pretty much. Mm. Um, they're in the same um, growing habit they might actually be in the same family i'm pretty sure they are actually um they're known as chinese dates but they're actually more like apples um
0: i love the texture i do too how do you describe that is it like foamy
1: it's kind of foamy
0: okay <laughs> and it's sweet it's kind of sweet it's very sweet and i love this skin
1: i love the skin too. I love the color. It's like yeah. that deep red. Yeah. Um, another thing I really love is actually the fact that it tonifies the heart and the spleen at the mm-hmm. same time.
0: Okay. What does that mean?
1: So that means that it's, it's a very nourishing fruit um, that will calm the spirit. And that's when the nourishment from the heart happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then And in a similar way, that sweetness that comes from it is um, tonifying to the spleen. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you have to be careful not to take too much tonifying, too much sweet, because that will actually hinder the spleen. But in cases of deficiency, some nourishment is is very good.
0: Yeah, I definitely Mm -hmm. feel like it picks me up if I'm starting to like, Ooh, my energy is starting to go down totally yeah. yeah i wonder
1: if the foamy quality helps like even out the sweet too
0: oh right like the fiber <laughs> yeah and the fiber I, yeah yeah because it is it's
1: very fibrous actually
0: yeah awesome so what other herbs have been calling you G2. um well
1: <laughs> again i've been really loving yarrow mm-hmm. um feeling a lot of respect for yarrow and knowing that she's coming into flower now. Um, she's another herb that comes in waves too. Like there will be times some years where there's just an abundance of yarrow and you'll see her everywhere. Mm-hmm. And other years where, oh no, what happened to the patch that I used to come right. to and it's gone. Right. So, I mean, what does that mean to us? Does that mean it's just time to take a break from that area or, or, Did we maybe take too much last year?
0: Or we could look at like epidemics. This is something that we see at Halo. Um, Waves of people experiencing similar issues, right? Like we know, oh, today is going to be a bipolar day. (laughs) (laughs) Or today is going to be a feverish day or an allergy day. Um, And I'm wondering if herbs are available when they're needed too like on a mass scale like perhaps during that time there's a lot of yarrow maybe there's going to be a need for yarrow in the community you know I
1: agree with that
0: looking at the planetary alignments of of what's going on could influence the health of our communities on a mass level too and I'm sure like plants are there too they're affected by the the movement of the stars, constellations, planets too. So I don't think we'll ever know for sure, but it's something that's kind of like tickling the back of my brain. (laughs) Yeah. How do you like to harvest herbs so that they are at their peak harvest point so that you can have the most potent medicine? What do you look for?
1: I like to do a little bit of research usually before I go out. Um, I recently brushed up on um, harvesting yarrow because it's about that time now. And it, I was reminded that the best specimens to harvest from are actually less than two feet tall. And it seems um, like in this area, in Nevada City, we have a lot of taller white A yarrow, you know, we go with the, we always find, I always find the the white white. yarrow. Um, I never collect the colorful yarrows. I just don't feel drawn. Um, And those are more of the garden varieties anyway. But um, what we find around here are usually white yarrow. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's like a pinkish hue on them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find my own intuition goes to the white yarrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just really make a point to, re-evaluate the ideal specimens that I'm looking for. Right. Also, like in the situation with horsetail, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to get the really light, you know, crumbly stuff. I want to get the fresh. Right. I want to get the freshest looking, really vital stuff, you know. Right.
0: Like when you go to the farm stand and there's, like, lettuce that's pale and lettuce that's, like, really green, what are you going to grab? Right. Right. right, well,
1: some people are looking for the best deal, but not me.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> potent medicine. I'm looking for
1: potent medicine. Yeah. And you know that the chemicals in in the more vital-looking herbs are going to help the most. Right. You know. Um, and then
0: you don't have to use as much. Right. Right?
1: Right. And the other thing I'm always looking for is how, in what stage is the plant, do I want to get it when it's in full flower or shall I wait until it goes, you know, almost to seed? Do I go at the full moon? Should I go at the new moon? Because right. each of those phases of the moon will make a big difference too. Right. Um, if I'm harvesting roots, I prefer to go at the new moon. Okay. If I'm harvesting flowers, I prefer to go at the full moon. Would you like um, to explain why that is? Yeah, of course. So for the roots, um, I'm looking at energy going back into the earth, going kind of more um, into seclusion. The plant is going dormant, maybe you know late fall. Usually, in the case of um, most roots, that go in November. Um, October November sometimes after I've seen most of the aerial parts of the plant die back I'll wait until pretty much the darkest night of that um, month and collect on the darkest night um, knowing that the energy is is being stored it's going back into storage
0: with the full moon, it's the opposite.
1: Right. So with the full moon, I see the plant coming into its, like, most full life. um, And with the light of the moon kind of encouraging the fluids of the plant to come all the way through to the very top of the plant, you know, to the very externally... Focused the peak. place, yeah, the peak, right, the pinnacle of its energy, um, going into the flower. Mm-hmm. Um, the flower also generally um, as the invitation to insects or you know other organisms that it has that outward. It's going outward into the world, just as, as humans like to go out on the full moon. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, in many different cultures. That's the time for celebration. Full moon gathering night. Mm-hmm.
0: That's neat. With this flower full moon that we just had, It's May. I noticed yerba santa flowering. Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. She
1: is so beautiful. And we recently had an herb, um, herb of the month club at Halo with John um, With John Olson, he is our herb of the month guide. Um, and we discussed Yerba Santa and he brought to our attention that, um, the bluish purple flowers of Yerba Santa certainly have their spiritual quality as well. You know, um, I would say every flower has spiritual quality. And I mean, that's where we could go into flower essences and all of, all of that. (laughs) Right. Um, but that the blue, that's another podcast, that's another podcast,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Year Vasanta is so beautiful. And did you go to that class that John had? I did,
1: yeah. I really enjoyed it. I um it's always a beautiful thing gathering with other people to discuss herbs and talk about our experience with them. And and that's a beautiful thing that happens when we gather with other people to collect herbs too. That is something I certainly encourage that if people are wildcrafting or gathering that they gather themselves, gather with other humans. I
0: love that. <laughs> right, there's a lot of education, yeah, that's needed. Um, how does someone find like a teacher or a guide?
1: That's true, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, we all started with someone, you know. If not like a grandmother, then you know, maybe even a book. But I think it's best when working with plants outside and wildcrafting to really. Have hands-on experience with someone who knows what they're talking about
1: it's exactly true I am very I'm a very strong prop- proponent of the human experience with herbs um, meeting other people who have that experience who have experience as um, wild crafters and not engaging too much with a book when it comes to wildcrafting. I would um, certainly consult the book about what the, um, you know, qualities that you're seeking and things like that. Try to gather with people, either folks that you know that are herbalists, that um, at at herbal schools, um, at herbal stores, find people who have other um, experience or previous experience wildcrafting, but please do find somebody to teach you out there.
0: For probably too long, I was not the herb nerd. I was more like the woman who reads about herbs. Book smarts are important, but they can be impersonal. I think it's important to connect with plants, and it took me a while to familiarize myself with plants. So what are some plants that are easy to identify that people can start building relationships with right Mm -hmm. away?
1: Mm -hmm. Get to know what plants are in your region. And that's something you could easily do with a book first. You know, figuring out what plants grow in my region. Okay, okay. Um, are there experts in the field of wildcrafting here? Can I meet with them? Are they in some part of a club or at a bookstore? Can, you know, can I put a Facebook message out there asking for people who are, um, you know, experts or at least, you know, somehow leaders in that, in that path? Okay. So there's certainly the question of, How do I get started with plants in my region? And what if there isn't anybody that I can study with right away? Well, there are certainly, you know, let's start with the weeds, right? Right. We could always start with plants that appear to us as weeds, which in some other uh, tradition are gems, you know, such as dandelion. Start with dandelion. Mm. Okay. You've got the leaf, you've got the flower or the root.
0: You can use the whole thing. You can use the whole thing. It's the gardener's revenge to make <laughs> medicine out of what we call our weeds. Exactly. So, um,
1: you know, when you're when you're looking at dandelion, do a little research. That's that is can that can be you know what where you start um, with that, and you can even find recipes for uh, different parts of the plant. You know, some people will make a tea with the leaves or the roots. Some people will roast the roots and make some kind of a coffee substitute. Some people will gather the flowers and make flower essences or will make dandelion dandelion wine. Uh Uh-huh. Fritters. (laughs) So very easily begin with something in your region. Which in that case, we're, you know, kind of wondering, well, is that really wildcrafting or is that just gathering? You know, right. that's, you know, those are kind of loose terms. Right. I really don't know other than being mindful and to what degree is there scarcity and to what degree is it outside of our personal limited environment within our you know, within our home or with, within our homestead, I guess you could say, or even in our community. Um,
0: plantain is a great one.
1: Plantain is really awesome. Plantain is everywhere. Um, be careful collecting plantain and other herbs that might have a bioaccumulation effect, because there is the um, there is some caution to be taken when you're gathering herbs that literally draw up the toxins from Mm -hmm. the soil or from the surroundings. Um, And that's, yeah, and that's true for plantain. And that's also true for horsetails. So So we have to be
0: really careful where we live because of, you know, all the toxicity with heavy metals because of the mining Mm -hmm. from so long ago. That impact is still felt within our area. Yeah. Yeah,
1: or also just because plantain and dandelion, dandelion both grow in disturbed. They they grow in very disturbed areas. Mm-hmm. Disturbance can be an opportunity for them, right? But it can also be somewhat toxic to us. So there will there you will certainly find plantain in areas that are not as disturbed. Um, so even if you do see a bunch growing in your driveway consider going for a walk like in you know maybe in the backyard or in another area of your yard of your land where you're not necessarily going to be taking those toxins in
0: so I've been thinking about all the herbs that and weeds that grow in cities and that they're they're almost like on the forefronts You know, and they can't grow in the mass numbers like they can out in the forest. And thinking about the importance of being able to reach for it when you need it in the moment, but wildcrafting in the forest is probably a lot better because that's where their city is. That's where they're found in greater numbers most of the time.
1: There's a lot of benefits um, to finding in the wild, and that's why also in Asia they prefer. They do usually prefer the wild plants. And there's something to be said, um, again, about plants growing in their environment, um, plants adapting to the change in climate, the qi, the energy of that region, right? So in Chinese medicine... um, A lot gets kind of filtered out in the clinical medicine part of it. And what often doesn't um, remain is understanding the plant for its um, growing pattern and where it's growing. For example, ginseng is grown in various different parts of China. But you'll see that it's prized where it's grown in climates that are a lot more um harsh let's talk about dandelion for a moment dandelion it grows in on trails too we'll find it in a lot of places but there is certainly a theme there as it grows in the disturbed soils it is transforming the toxicity within that soil um it has a predominance in our in the herbal tradition too of transforming the toxicity or cleansing one could say cleaning it out cleaning out the liver you know especially the root right um and and when we look at herbs like that we can see that it almost like there that it has its specific purpose you know where it is and how it grows where it grows it it has this theme about it you know Um, another example would be looking at schizandra berry in Chinese medicine Um, you know it's traditionally um, it's traditionally grown in a certain part of Manchuria because it has the stressors that all make it this um, remarkable form it's, um, pri- you know, primarily because of the soil, the watering, the um, uh, insect or herbivory. You know, there's there's all sorts of um, factors that make it that specifically awesome place for it to be growing. Um, that said, it doesn't mean that we couldn't replicate those same environmental impacts or, or stressors in um a controlled environment, but they are already experiencing this um these, you know Stressor. These stressors to create the medicine that it has. And, you know, the the preciousness of that needs to be uh acknowledged. But but that is in essence what makes the wildcraft of that plant so vital
0: right that's amazing i've seen my my catnip just like decimated by my cat rolling around and i thought the first time like oh no poor plants and the next day poof it's like twice as big (laughs) it really likes that environmental stressor they are co-evolving they're co-evolving together (laughs) catnip oh so You studied with Peggy Schaefer. That's right. Um, She has the book Chinese Medicinal Herb Farm. So can you briefly tell us about your experience on the farm?
1: Yeah, I had a really awesome um, opportunity um, near the end of my first two years of studying Chinese medicine to um, really have an intimate look at the way that Chinese herbs are growing in a um, cultivated setting and Peggy Schaefer's farm is in Petaluma uh, in California, Northern California. I learned an incredible amount of um, information just being with the herbs Um they she does offer an internship for acupuncturists or people that study Chinese medicine. I think it's a one weekend a month. I'd have to review her website. I would go to her website, ChineseMedicinalHerbFarm.com, dot com, um, to look at what um offerings she has. But her book is also really full of um of knowledge, um, both on. Uh, herb quality. Her chapter um, on herb quality. It goes into detail about wildcrafting and um, and also how certain stressors can be replicated in the um, the garden or in the farm to try to emulate the wild uh, situation. And she herself will offer so much information about the growing of the plants. While she herself does not consider herself an herbalist, I definitely feel like she has lots of wisdom to offer just in growing the herbs as a farmer.
0: You know, you practice Chinese medicine and I practice Ayurvedic medicine. And as I said, I was really book heavy my head was always in a book. I knew what the herbs looked like, but I bet if I went on a walk in India, I wouldn't be able to pick out a lot of those herbs because most of them don't grow here. Right. It's great that she's growing them.
1: Yeah, a lot of the herbs that she's growing actually—it's incredible when you see the list on her, um, on her, in, in her book of what she's growing or what she knows can grow in what regions. It's impressive. I mean, it really blows, it still blows my mind. <laughs> and some of the herbs that I really loved connecting with were Salvia milteriza, which is kind of her baby, and um, Codenopsis uh, Pelosula, that's Dongshen. Um, Dongshen and Dongshen, they're kind of, they were growing amongst, you know, in the same fields um, when I was working there. And, um, and she has a demonstration garden too, which has a lot of the more precious, like less, um, less easily grown in fields, um, which is true for a lot of Chinese herbs too. Um, so that could be seen as one of the limiting factors is that not all crops, not all Chinese herbs can be grown like that, like in a big scale. However, you can grow a lot of them in a garden. So, you know, there's there's some interesting overlap there with yeah what what is kind of the ultimate in growing certain herbs and and where is it that like wildcrafting can give us things um, to maybe consider when we have our own garden you know if there's anything we can do to emulate the wilderness in our own garden most of the time it's to our benefit It's to the plants to the plants benefit too.
0: Right. So in the last podcast on the Herbner podcast, we had a plant communication discussion with Sally J. Mark, and we talked in depth about communing with plants. Would you like to share how you commune with plants and what you ask them?
1: Oh, and that is something that didn't necessarily begin at my first sort of experience with herbs. Um, while, but those who can um, commune with herbs on a communication plant vibration level, you have a special gift, you know. Um, or, or if that's your initial experience with herbs, then you should certainly go into the depths of herbalism. Um, I came at herbalism from a much more clinical or um, Uh, literary perspective and and also from enjoying the presence of herbs in um, in the garden Um, I can't say that I I really spoke the language of herbs from the onset but as I was more present with them and from working at the herb farm and also in the herb garden at the acupuncture school where I went to that um, I really did start to understand what that was. And I was, for me, I I felt it in my body. It wasn't so much the language of, um, like, trying to make sense of a language. Like, in my head, it was actually more like, ooh, where do I feel this person? Where do I feel this plant? Mm-hmm. And I actually feel it in certain parts of my body. Interesting. And I wonder if that's also just, like, constitutionally, like, we're all different and we do different things with, with our manifestations you know like with our person and and i think for me i'm much more of a feeler than i am a a thinker
0: sometimes or a seer or a a seer how you communicate yeah that's the language that you communicate with plants with
1: yeah so that that kind of brought out more of my relationship with herbs is feeling them
0: Mm. birth growth and death are called the cycle of life which is represented as the wheel of life. When we talk about the life of plants, in gratitude, some people and cultures offer something back to them in return. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's beautiful. Mm. I feel I feel like that's um, certainly um, the wise woman perspective or wise person perspective, you know, is to think beyond our our own experience at this point in life, you know, is to see the bigger perspective of what are we contributing to in the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. You have
0: products.
1: I have a, a line of salve at Halo in Nevada city and that's called Artemisia botanical company. And I make salve, uh, some from local plants and some from, um, exotic plants um but i'd love it if people came and got a a sample of that and hopefully they felt something good from using those
0: what day do you work at halo if people want to connect with you personally
1: yeah and i'm at halo on monday afternoons and i'm also kind of um heading up the program of farm outreach so for people who are interested in in wildcrafting or farming well um all herbs, whether they're Chinese or Western or Ayurvedic, um, feel free to come on Wednesday um, to talk to myself or to um, any of the herbalists at the counter. And let's talk about herbs.
0: Great. And is there a way that people can con- connect with you via email or Facebook? Yes,
1: yes. Um, Facebook, I'm under Juju Ursus. And then email is artebotanical at gmail.com.
0: Thank you so much for spending the time to share your experiences with wildcrafting with us and our listeners today. Thank you so much, Juju. Thank you, Monica. Herb Nerd Podcast, which is all about herbs, healing, and spirituality. That's all for this episode. And Until next time, for more inspiring advice and to learn how to cultivate your inner sanctuary, head on over to my website at www.theherbnerdpodcast.com or find me on Twitter or Facebook. And to show the world that you're an herb nerd please don't forget to rate me on itunes it really does make a difference five stars the herb nerd podcast is an educational resource so stay tuned for the next discovery of the many musings of